Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Reed from the SIOP Visibility Committee. I'm excited to welcome our guest to the SIOP Conversation Series, Dr. Andre Martin, Managing Director at Accenture. Before we start today's conversation, I want to remind you that the majority of today's questions are submitted by you, our listeners. I also ask that you turn off your video and remain on mute for the entirety of the conversation if you're joining as a live listener. Also a reminder that all episodes of the SIOP Conversation Series are recorded and published as a podcast on iTunes and Google Play and are housed on the SIOP Conversation Series landing page. As our live listeners will notice, today's conversation includes video. As part of this platform, you also have the opportunity to ask questions during the live broadcast using the chat feature on Zoom. Andre has graciously agreed to remain on the line for 15 minutes following our standard 30-minute broadcast to answer some of the in-the-moment questions you might have today. Now, I am so happy to welcome Dr. Andre Martin to our conversation today. Andre is currently a managing director at Accenture, leading a practice dedicated to CEO development and purpose. Prior to Accenture, Andre held key senior leadership roles dedicated to employee engagement and culture in some of the biggest consumer brands in the world, including Target, Nike, Mars Incorporated, and Disney. Whether his teams were unleashing the potential of Target's 350,000 employees by helping to build a more purpose-driven culture, activating a consumer-focused digital transformation at Nike by delivering a more value-driven, leader-led culture, or building a principle-led culture at Mars that resulted in five consecutive Gallup Grace Great Place to Work Awards, Andre's mission has always been to help make growth companies as engaging as the consumer brands they create. When he isn't helping companies thrive, Andre is a guest lecturer at top universities on design thinking and innovation, a committed husband and father of two wonderful children, an owner of a sustainable mushroom farm in the Ozark Mountains, and can otherwise be found hiking the rain-soaked trails around Portland with his two English labs. Bodhi and the Fawns, did I get that right? All right, awesome. Andre, we are so glad that you could join us today. Kelly, it's just an honor to be here. Thanks for making the space and to everyone who's on with us. Thanks for joining. Super appreciative. Thank you and can't wait to dive in. So let's uh, let's get started. We've got some great questions from our listeners today. So Andre, to start, one of our listeners, Crystal D, is interested to know how you chose the field of biopsychology. Hi, Crystal. Well, I appreciate the, the question. Um, you know, for me, it was it was a sort of a chance encounter. I had graduated from college. I was living in Denver, Colorado, and was working at a startup at the time. And as part of our commitment to growth, the owners of the company brought in an IO psychologist to do some work on setting up the company structure and thinking about how we can, we can scale. And I remember sitting in the interview and talking to this person, and I just, I was, what, 21 years old and was amazed that someone could come into companies Think about how people are motivated, the systems they live and work in, and try to help those leaders create um, a better company, a better brand, a better way of being. And about a week later, I walked into my boss's office. I said, I know what I want to do with my life. I went back to college again, took another 20 hours of psychology, got myself into graduate school, and the rest is history. It's always, uh, it is always an interesting and varied path that we hear about from our guests. So thank you for sharing your, um, 
Given your experience with leading a practice that is dedicated to CEO development and purpose, and that's what you're in now, but I'm sure you've been doing CEO development and purpose work for, for much of your career. One of our listeners, how S would like to know what skills are critical for leaders to focus on developing. And I, I imagine that goes beyond just the CEO, but you know, leaders in general. Well, we're in an interesting time, right, Kelly, around leadership in that I think the last 18 to 24 months with all the upheaval, the stress and strain, the challenges puts on leaders, I think it's shown us that all of us need to develop, uh, myself included. And, and so when I was thinking about this question, I, I would say that there's a few things that are on my mind right now. First and foremost, it's resilience. You know, if you can, as a leader, show up every day fully engaged, in the face of the kinds of challenge we're facing into, it's hard to expect your teams to do that. So finding ways to be mindful, to be resilient, to keep your energy high is super important, both for yourself, for your team, and also just the modeling that it does for, for the company. I think secondly is, is leading change. And I know this has been a topic for the for a long time, but somehow this change that we're leading feels different. There's a lot more uncertainty baked into it. There's a lot more human need for belonging and understanding baked into it. And so with that, I'd say the third skill is really human-centered design. If more of our leaders understood the foundations of human-centered design and designing for our consumers, our users, our employees, I think we would probably be running much healthier systems at the moment. And last but not least, I'd just say, you know, I certainly and always have thought that self-awareness is just the meta skill that you can never have enough of. And so how do we continue to build robust levels of self-awareness in our executives? So they see who they are, they understand their intention, but also really at a, at a human level, understand the, the impact they're having on their people and their teams and know how to shift those things effort, effortlessly. So. Andre, thank you. And I think that's a good, a good um, summation of some of those pillars there. I am curious, building on what you just shared, of the pillars you just shared, the, the core competencies or skill sets you just shared, what, what if any of those do you think are areas that research and practice maybe needs to pay more attention to, right? Some of those I feel like are getting more attention than others. Are there any that you think really you'd call out as, gosh, these, these really haven't been getting the attention they deserve and, and should in the future? Yeah, Kelly, I love that question. So I think the answer probably would sit more in the organizational side of, of our work that we do together. And I've been really interested in this idea of resilience and well-being. And for me, I feel like we're trying to solve an inherently organizational issue with psychological constructs. We're putting the onus of well-being resilience on the individuals. I should be more resilient. I should find higher levels of well-being. And as I look around the growth companies I've lived and worked in for 25 years, I would tell you those systems are not set up in a way that really promotes health, promotes well-being, and promotes resilience. So if I had an ask of all those researchers out there with us today, I'd say let's start studying how to create healthier organizations. Because in the next five to six years, as we think about the great resignation and talent swap that's happening, I believe there's going to be an organization out there that can say to its employees, come to work here and you will walk out healthier. And I believe we as a research uh, community have a responsibility to figure out how to do that. 
That is uh, powerful, Andre, thank you. And especially today in the, the current environment, I think everything that's unfolded over the last year, year and a half, um, working in a given industry can present unique demands that leaders must address to effectively lead their organizations. Since industries can differ with respect to demands placed on leaders, one of our listeners is interested to know how CEO development and leader development may vary by industry. Hey Kelly, so you and I work in this in this area a great deal. And, and again, one of the things that's been on my mind as of late is I think there's a really big difference between skill development, things like resilience, value creation, decision-making, communication, and making sure that your leaders have the experiences they need to be able to do the next job we're asking them to do. And so in that experience space is where I think industries differ. So if you think about Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, the experiences he needs to run a digital brick and mortar retail institution at the size and scale of Target, those experiences are very different than maybe what Sundar Pichai would need to run Google and compete in the high-tech industry. And so the difference probably isn't skill or capability, but a really big difference in do our aspiring leaders have the set of experiences they need in order to do the job really well once they get there. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the work that you've seen either in research or in practice on how some of those experiences are mapped or roadmapped or you know, however, however you've seen it done well? Well, Kelly, I'd say this is another space where we could, we could stand to do a lot more work as, as researchers and practitioners. Um, you know, often our industry has really been centered on capability, competency, and skill. And I don't know that we've really mastered this idea of experience mapping and understanding, hey, you have this executive who's in the top 50 of the company and stands out against a peer set that is also exceptional, right? And so how do we start understanding the experience roadmap, the things that they collected? And also I think the second piece of it, and this takes me way back to my time at the Center for Creative Leadership is there's a big difference between the experiences we have and the lessons that we're able to pull out from that, right? So all the CCL was built in this idea that key events happen to us all, but the leaders that truly continue to excel, they pull lessons of experience from those key events. So I guess the question I'd hold is how can we as a group of practitioners start to really enhance our leaders' ability to reflect on these moments, understand them for what they are, and also pull through the lessons of experience that are going to help them in the next big challenge, the next big disruption of their business, the next big competitive attack. Andre, thank you. And throughout your career, you have helped many organizations shape their culture from assisting Nike in developing a value-driven culture to helping Mars in developing a principle-led culture. Given some of your experiences and your expertise, can you, can you talk a bit more about the role of culture in organizations and how it can be shaped to enhance the effectiveness of organizations? You were alluding to this when you were talking about this notion of this healthy 
well-being promoting organization, which I think all of us would be like, yes, let's work there. That sounds amazing. But talk a bit more about, you know, expand on that. Talk about culture uh, if you could. Happy to. And I know this is a topic that you and I share a ton of passion about. So, you know, feel free to jump in as well. Um, I always start with this idea of what is culture. And I believe that culture is fuel for any organization that's trying to achieve a goal or an outcome. And then you have to ask the question of how is culture created? And again, core belief, culture is created through the individual choices, decisions, and actions that each of us take within a company. Right. And so if you take those two things, if you think about culture as the heartbeat of a company, it's the place where higher levels of engagement, productivity, discretionary effort, dedication lie. The question we have to ask ourselves is how do we unlock that? And the truth is it's it's a very simple answer and a very complex thing to do. Leaders often stand on culture through artifact or aspiration. They either talk about what we were when we were, you know, 10 people working out of a garage, or they talk about what we want to be. And the secret to this work is you have to hold aspiration for culture, but the job of leaders to make sure that that aspiration comes to life in every touch point, every day, and every interaction. And that's where I see often our companies are getting it wrong. They stand up in big meetings and talk about the aspiration of culture. We're the most innovative company in the world. We're one of the top places to work in. We're highly engaged. We care about our employees. And then you go down to the team level, the person working in building B out on the outskirts of the company. And if they don't feel that every day, if they don't see that in their leaders and their managers and their teammates and the way that they work, all you get is dissonance. Right. And when we have dissonance, we know what we get. We get stress. We get worry. We get lower levels of engagement. We get questions about whether I fit. And in the end, we get higher levels of turnover. And so when I think about this question of culture, treat it as fuel and think about how do we construct the touch points every time that we come in contact with our employees in such a way that there's no question that our aspirations coming to life every day that we come to work. I, I love all the nuance of what you just shared there. One of the aspects I'd love to dig into a little bit more if you're open to it. So you, sure. talked, you talked about this idea of dissonance, right? And oftentimes when we think about this aspiration versus artifact, Sometimes people lean too much into the aspiration of this is this is who we are, who we will be, or they conflate the idea of who we are now, which may not be our aspirational selves with where we're going. And so thinking a bit about this notion of, you know, holding paradox and also, you know, being able to acknowledge what we're not today or the room we have to grow today with where we're headed in the future or who we are aspiring to be. Can you talk a little bit about the role that, that you've seen that play out in an organizations when either that's there and it works or it's not there and <laughs> the dissonance just grows and grows and grows, like you said. Kelly, it's, it's the ultimate challenge, right? For any CEO, C-suite executive or team leader is how do you hold an aspiration, a vision, a really clear, unbelievably cool idea of what we could be 
and also be able to appreciate that the day-to-day might not feel like that, look like that, but we're making movement in the right direction. And I think it's that last point that matters most is we need to be able to point to the places where it is happening, the places where it is true, the places where we are getting better. And if we do that, people can then hold that paradox, right? If I, I don't need, Kelly, if you're my CEO, for you to be perfect, I need to know that you're aspiring to be something better and that you're seeing in yourself and in me, both the places where we're taking the right steps and the places where we still have room to grow. Vulnerability is key, right? So often I see CEOs want to stand on this perfect vision of the future. And they only want to point to the places where it's happening. You also have to point to the places where we're just not quite there yet. And that's where engagement surveys, employee sentiment, employee voice work is really important. The core work that this group does, right, is such a great avenue to sort of keep our leaders grounded and help them both hold aspiration and also really work in the places where we're just not where we need to be today. Andre, thank you. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about purpose. That's core to the work that you do now. It's core to the work that you've done for much much of your career. In your current role, you work to enhance the purpose of leaders working specifically in CEO positions, which is just fascinating. And so I wonder if maybe we can start with you just sharing a little bit more about how this came to be, because it's a very unique um, a unique function. We don't, I mean, it, I don't know if it's the only function like it that exists or one of the first, but uh, could you maybe just share a little bit more about the function that you work in and how it came to be? Mm-hmm. I'd be glad to. I, you know, I have to give all the credit to the leadership at Accenture um, for really seeing a signal in the marketplace. Uh, and really by marketplace, I just mean the world. Accenture is a 400,000 person organization that works with almost every top company uh, from the tip of South America to the edge of China. And and what I'd say is this, that that there has become more and more awareness that whether it be your employees, whether it be your consumers, uh, shareholders in your company, or frankly, citizens of the communities you live and work in, there is an ask and a question being put in front of our largest corporations that really just simply says, tell me why the world is better with you in it, right? And that's a really powerful question to ask and have a definitive answer around. Why is the world better with our firm in it? And when you answer really well, it becomes the front end of strategy, right? It helps you make better strategic choices about investing here versus here. It helps you to connect at a lot deeper level to your employee base and your consumers and your shareholders, because the last 18, 24 months, we all have had one truth, right? Is that we felt isolated. We are searching for more belonging and we are looking for more meaning out of our day-to-day life. You you see everything around this YOLO phenomenon, right? You only live once. Uh, It's one of the biggest things when your talent practitioners were facing it today is that everyone sort of is looking at optionality on what their life could become. They're wanting to change jobs and move companies. And I think it really does boil down this idea of companies that understand their purpose 
that have an unwavering long-term dedication to it. We know they see higher levels of revenue. We know they see more satisfaction in their employee groups. We know that they have more loyal consumers. And I think being able to help organizations that are now seeing that signal and want to rediscover their purpose and actually push that through everything they do is it's just something that that's becoming a, a more and more vibrant conversation amongst the, the leaders I'm living and working with every day. Andre, thank you for giving that background and helping us learn a little bit more about your work and your day to day. When you think about the role of purpose in organizations, in culture, in leadership, can you share a little bit more about some of the areas where you would you would love to see organizations make more progress in those specific aspects, whether it's you know opportunities that are as yet unrealized or challenges or problems that they've yet to really. Well, Kelly, there's I mean there's just so many, right? We've we've sort of been in an era of unprecedented growth. When you think about sort of the the stock market gains, the wealth creation of companies, there's just been a really not easy road to growth, but it's been pretty consistent over the last decade in almost every industry. And and again, I think what purpose can provide is a few things. One is it, it gives you a rudder when it gets hard. Instead of being reactive to everything, every possible investment opportunity, every possible lever for growth, you sort of stay focused on the things that are core to you, core to your company, core to what you do really well. And so I think companies are struggling with how do I not be reactive? How do I stay the course and really play a longer game? Uh, I think secondly is really how do you infuse purpose into everything that you do, right? It used to be that, that we had this mentality that companies needed to do well and do good. It's kind of the foundation model. I'm going to run a really good company. I'm going to take a portion of revenue. I'm going to build a foundation. And with that foundation, I'm going to do good. I think what we're finding is how do you do well by doing good is sort of the next uh, frontier of organizational design, of employee engagement, of consumer product building. And it's been popular but now it's just, it's gaining speed for the masses in terms of bringing those things together in a, in a more compelling way. I love that. Yes. The doing well by doing good versus doing well and doing good, um, important transition to signify there. organizations, um, have been presented with a number of challenges, Andre, from the COVID-19 pandemic, as you well know, to employee engagement, organizational culture, just to name a few. Um, reliance on remote work is one of the big topics that have really come to, to light over this past year, year and a half. From your work and your point of view, how has the pandemic and remote work influenced employee engagement and organizational culture? What kind of insights can you share for organizations that may be struggling to maintain their culture and engagement throughout the pandemic? Kelly, I, this is one of the most fascinating questions. And it's really been sort of an obsession of mine the last 18 months. Um, because when you study culture, right, many of us do. The way that our modern corporations have really built culture have been relying on three things. One was place, these campuses and office buildings that were these vibrant sort of um, areas of collaboration and community. Secondly was perks, right? These 
gifts, add-ons that we give to our, our employees to show that we care about them and value them. And they range from meditation apps to, you know, what you name it, it's probably out there in the world. And then third is just proximity, right? We were really dependent on this old notion of walking the hallways in order to gain sentiment, understand where our employees are, build rapport, um, showcase our vulnerability. And what's happened in COVID, which is, I think, in some ways really healthy if you work in the space of culture, is it sort of forced us to, to look at some new avenues or levers to build cultures. Those include things like purpose, right? If you can draw a stronger sense of purpose, a more realistic sense of purpose into your company, you can keep people energized and dedicated. I think secondly is, is just the, the connection to the person themselves, helping the individual be seen and heard has become so much more important as we look at each other on these little square screens every single day, right? Um, and then third, just this idea of progression. And that even though I'm not in the office, how do I know that I'm progressing? How do I know that I'm getting better every day, that I'm growing faster than the company I work in? And so coming out of the pandemic, we still will have our, you know, our places, our perks, our proximity, but we're going to have these new assets that we can mature to just really round out um, a stronger, more vibrant sense of culture over time. Does that make sense? Like, does that kind of jive yeah, with what you're seeing absolutely. too? Um, and I, I think the question, the follow-up questions of that would be, you know, how, how have these changes then influenced what's needed from leadership and how, you know, leaders need to be developed as a result of, you know, what you just shared. Well, here, here's another interesting study for someone out there who's, who's looking to do research is when I look at, when I take three steps back from where we are today, what I would say is there's been remote workers in our companies for decades, right? And they've found ways to have really vibrant, really connected really meaningful careers that resulted in progression and um, bigger jobs and more work and more visibility. And so what I would say to us all is I feel like the answer has always been there. And if we just study the better practice, if that word works for you, or if we study the positive deviance, the people who had found a way to do this well before, I think our answer is already there. And what I would tell you is what will work for Lockton won't work for Target, won't work for Nike, won't work for Google. Kind of the days of us being able to rely on the one best practice, they're sort of gone, right? So how do you in the organizations you live and work in study your positive deviance, the people who've been remote for a long time? How do you study the, the folks who have been really successful in the last 18 months? And how do you then build that into a call it development program or asset that allows all of us to learn about the practices that work in the system you're already in? I love the best practice, better practice, and a good throwback to one of our past guests, Adam Grant, and he talks about that in his new book, Think Again, how best practice is limiting, and we need to be focused on better practice. So I think that's a great, uh, great tie-in and great linkage there. 
We, we have another one of our listeners, um, Andre, Matt S., that is really curious to know about the attributes that will be important for executives to succeed when you're thinking about the future of work and where we're headed. So what comes, what comes to mind for you on that question? I mean, we've talked about a few of them already, right? So I'll, I'll repeat just for consistency's sake. I believe higher levels of self-awareness. Um, and understanding how to pick up on signals when you're not in proximity, right? We know that in these avenues, it's much harder, much more nuanced to understand if you're being engaging, if you're making a connection, if you are hearing the message behind the message. And so helping our leaders to really gain even higher levels of awareness, both about themselves and the people they're working with, super important. Uh, I think the second one is we look at this concept of the great resignation or what I think is like potentially one of the greatest talent swaps of a generation. Uh, People are going to be on the move, really understanding the motivations of your team, of your employees, of your top talent are vital. And you can't leave that to HR or the talent practitioners to do that work anymore, right? You have to understand your team that you're at arm's length to, what motivates each of them as individuals? How well are we making um, that formula work for them in this company. What can I do as a leader to shift or move that in order for them to be better? That motivational formula is going to be super important. Um, I go back to always resilience. The ass of our leaders today, of all of us, frankly, are well beyond anything I ever expected to see in our careers. And so that ability to, to both build resilient systems and also then um, be models for resilience ourselves are really important. And then I'd say the last one, and this may sound antithetical to the conversation, but uh, I believe understanding the diverse value creation levers we have are super important. I mean, gone are the days where you can really just think about revenue and cost efficiency, right? You have to look at talent as a lever for growth. You have to look at culture and engagement is a level for growth. You have to be able to think about the creation of novel solutions, the ability for us to, you know, sustain revenue streams if and when the dynamics change. And so I think that just understanding of all the levers of value creation uh, will help us all be able to continue to be, um, be in a strong position as we, as we face what's going to be more and more challenges as the days unfold. And if we can broaden that, thinking about um, trends in I.O. more broadly beyond kind of leadership development and culture, what are some of the trends over the next year that you think I.O. researchers and practitioners really should be paying attention to? Well, and I encourage Kelly, you know, share some of the things that you're seeing as well. Um, again, just because I think consistency in messages matters, like let's continue to, to look at those resilient uh, resilient companies, really understanding motivation today. I believe there's, a, there's different factors in motivation maybe that are, that are rising to the top in terms of the way that we think about our organizations that are, that are changing the, the conversation we have with our, with our employees. I think this idea of belonging and meaning are super interesting areas of, of study. At its essence, what does belonging mean? How do you build it? And how do you build more meaning into, into day-to-day lives and into the systems that we, we operate? I also, you know, and this is probably not a new one for anybody, but this trend around AI and machine learning and really how do we utilize that ethically 
I think we have a real responsibility in helping organizations understand the ethical use of technology within systems. And, and that's something that even at, you know, Google, I, you know, I, I sort of was thinking about a great deal uh, around the impact of AI and what it will do to our systems and what we can do to, to sort of make sure they stay inherently human as they become more technologically advanced. So much more content today, goodness, than we have time to cover. Unfortunately, that is all of our time today for the recorded portion of our broadcast. So to our podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in. Andre, on behalf of PSYOP, the Visibility Committee, and all of our listeners, thank you for engaging in enlightening conversation and for taking the time to speak with us. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining and contributing your questions to today's discussion. It would not have been the same without you. And until next time, take care.